0: I'm Toby Logsden, and this is your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 4 verses 1 through 4, Solomon writes, Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding, for I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words, keep my commands, and live. You know, anyone who's been a parent or who has maybe even simply tried to teach a Sunday school class full of children knows that getting the attention of children isn't always an easy task. Solomon starts off this section of the book of Proverbs by urging the child to give them his attention for just a moment. But his urging was very likely something that he actually picked up directly from his own father, King David. In Psalm chapter 34 verse 11, we find something written by David that sounds extremely similar to what we read here today. Here in Psalm 34, we read, Come you children, listen to me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. David spent a number of years trying to get away from Saul, who knew that David was the man that God had chosen to be the king over Israel and sought to murder David in order that he, Saul, could continue to occupy the throne. While he was on the run, David visited a place called Nob, which was a small community for priests in the territory of Benjamin. David lied to and thereby persuaded the high priest, Ahimelech, to allow him to take the consecrated bread and the sword which had belonged to Goliath when David had killed him. In one of his most foolish moments, David took that sword and sought refuge in a place called Gath. When the servants of the king of Gath saw David, they said, Is this not David the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? You see, Goliath had been the great hero, the champion of the Gath people, and here was David seeking refuge among them with the sword of their dead champion. So what did David do to escape with his life? He acted like a madman, pretending like he had completely lost his mind. The king of Gath had him kicked out of the city, and David escaped to the cave of Adjelam. Having learned a great lesson as a result of his own foolishness, it was here, in this cave, that David wrote the 34th Psalm. The psalm recorded some of the lessons that he had recently learned, such as, Keep your tongue from evil, and your lips from speaking deceit. Or, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears hear their cry. Considering the similarities between the opening verses of Proverbs chapter 4 and Psalm chapter 34, it's likely that the instruction which follows in Proverbs came directly from the mouth of David. But first, Solomon interjects a personal note, writing that when he was his father's son and the only one his mother had to tend for, his father taught him and said, Let your heart retain my words, keep my commands and live. And of course, Solomon wasn't the firstborn of David and Bathsheba, That child had been the result of an adulterous relationship between them. But they'd married after David had murdered her husband, and God had to break David's prideful spirit. And he did that by taking his firstborn son away from him. Solomon, however, was going to be the son that they would have who would be destined to be David's successor. David learned a lot of lessons throughout his life. The years that he spent as an exile had seasoned him and taught him a lot about life and faith. The sins that he committed and was punished for broke his pride, and enabled God to shape him into a man who truly sought after God's own heart. Ultimately, David developed a deep love and trust for God that he passed on to Solomon. The lesson for parents here is that we need to invest time and energy into teaching these qualities to our children. The lesson for children is that you need to keep in mind the fact that even Solomon, who was the wisest person the world has ever known, was able to glean wisdom from his parents. And if the wisest person ever can learn something from his parents, so can you. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your daily fix of wisdom on podcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. I'm Toby Logsden, and this is your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 through 9, Solomon writes, Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. In our previous lesson, we saw that King David took some time to pass some of the wisdom which he had gained through his own living and his own mistakes onto his own son, Solomon. Solomon is continuing to recall the words of his father in our passage today. In these words, we find five pieces of advice pertaining to the importance of wisdom. Here we read King David telling Solomon about the pursuit of wisdom, the passion of wisdom, the priority of wisdom, the promotion of wisdom, and finally, the prize of wisdom. It's almost as if David starts this passage off by begging Solomon to acquire wisdom. It's like he's saying, get this through your head, son. If nothing else, wrap your mind around this. As a parent myself, I can definitely relate to this. I know that my son, for example, is a very bright kid and is just light years ahead of where I was when I was his age, but he doesn't have wisdom to go with his intelligence, his knowledge, just yet. That'll take time. There's a danger, though, that he'll grow so comfortable simply relying on his intelligence that he won't see the need to seek wisdom. For that reason, I constantly am urging both of my kids to pursue wisdom and not to lose sight of the importance of it. Secondly, David goes on to liken the way that a person must care for wisdom to the way that one must care for their spouse. He says, love her and she will keep you. You know, a lot of people in our culture believe that the main point of marriage is to find happiness and personal satisfaction and fulfillment. When they don't find that happiness or satisfaction, they bail out on the marriage. Gary Thomas has a book out Titled Sacred Marriage. And the question posed in this book is What if God created marriage more to make you holy than to make you happy? You know, that's not to say that happiness isn't important in marriage. It definitely is. But happiness isn't the primary goal of marriage. Instead of looking for the perfect spouse, which will just never happen if we're being honest, One of the points that Gary Thomas makes in this book is that we should try to be the perfect spouse. When we use wisdom as an analogy here, we have to understand that if we love wisdom, if we are passionate about wisdom, it will require that we be the one to change. In order to stick with that, we have to be passionate about it. Third, David reminds Solomon that no pursuit should come before wisdom. Wisdom has priority. Think about it. If a person has wisdom, everything else will fall into place. Wisdom, when given priority, will determine many of the choices that we make in life, such as who we hang out with, who we marry, the lifestyle we have, the job we get into. For that reason, David urges Solomon, saying, With all of your getting, get understanding. Wisdom must have a priority in our lives. Fourth, David discusses the promotion of wisdom. Wisdom is greater than any treasure, but we have to differentiate between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom is like fool's gold. It's absolutely worthless, which is why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For that reason, when we give wisdom priority, we also give God's word priority. The result is that wisdom will promote the person who gives it priority. As we read here, she will bring you honor when you embrace her. Fifth, and finally, David discusses the prize of wisdom. That would be a crown of glory. This crown of glory is a theme that we can actually find throughout scripture. For example, in writing of the second coming of Jesus, Peter writes, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Every earthly or worldly prize will eventually fade away, which makes the value of this prize beyond measure. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this is your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 4 verses 10 through 12, Solomon writes, Hear my son and receive my sayings and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered and when you run, you will not stumble. While Solomon has been quoting his own father David in the previous passages, today's passage appears to be directed toward Solomon's own son, Rehoboam, although he may have been using the same words toward his son that he heard from his father, King David. Given what we know about Rehoboam, it's pretty clear that he probably spent a lot of time just gazing out the window toward the sky while Solomon was trying to get through to him. Rehoboam's life was certainly not characterized by wisdom, and he really wasn't as concerned with spiritual matters as he was with experiencing the pleasures of the flesh, as evidenced by the fact that he had a grand total of 18 wives and 60 concubines, which is really just a fancy word for mistress. He's reported to have had 28 sons and 60 daughters. Obviously, as Solomon was trying to impact Rehoboam's life with teachings of wisdom, Rehoboam had his mind on other things. The end result is that when he inherited the throne... From Solomon, it was a disaster that lasted only 17 years. That means that he died at the age of 58, which is definitely not a long life. The fact that his life was shortened was evidence that he had ignored what Solomon had recorded for us in this passage. And that is that if he heeds the advice of his father's sayings, the years of his life would be many. One of the hardest things that any parent has to do is watch their children make mistakes with their choices. The only thing that can set their mind at ease in those times is being able to acknowledge and know that they did their part. They taught their child to do or to know better. Ultimately, the ball ends up in the child's court, and they have to take the theory of wisdom and put it into practice in their lives. And Solomon's reminding us again that wisdom is like a guardian which protects and preserves the person who practices it. He tells us that if we practice wisdom, our steps will not be hindered when we walk, and when we run, we will not stumble. Paul used the imagery of running, in a race that is, to illustrate the Christian life as well. To stumble in a race is a picture of what it looks like to fall deeply into sin. Of course, everyone sins, and we all rely on God's grace, but the goal of the Christian life is to allow ourselves to be set apart from the sins that we're inclined to commit. To stumble means to suffer a setback in the process of sanctification, but this race is a marathon and not a sprint, thankfully. You've probably seen some of the fastest men and women on earth run a race with hurdles while they're sprinting. Imagine a marathon with hurdles set up every 10 or so yards. Even the most fit athletes in the world wouldn't have what it would take to run such a race. The fact is that there are hurdles set up in the race that we're running. And all of us will, at some point in our Christian walk, try to run the race by our own power. And by our own power, we're bound to run out of gas eventually. But what are we supposed to do when we hit that wall and grow tired of running the race. The author of Hebrews wrote, Let us run with endurance the race that is before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When we do that, it's exercising wisdom, and we won't stumble or grow tired of running the race. I'm Toby Logsdon, and this has been your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. I'm Toby Logsden and this is your daily fix of wisdom on bible study podcasts.org. In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, Solomon writes, take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil, and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. In our passage today, Solomon continues to plead with his own son, telling him to take a strong hold of the instruction he was receiving. Solomon tells us that not only does receiving this instruction improve the quality of our lives, but he even goes so far as to say that this instruction is our life. This is the same thing that you might say to someone who's drowning in the middle of a lake as you throw them a life preserver. Hold on to it. Don't let go for any reason. Your life depends on whether or not you do what I'm telling you to do, and if you let go, it's over and done with. You know, Jesus knew that Judas would be the disciple who would walk on the path of the wicked, because he knew what was in the heart of Judas. Judas, like many Jews of that day and age, had been expecting the Messiah to be a political figure who was coming to establish an earthly kingdom that would liberate the Jews once and for all. Jesus knew the moment that it dawned on Judas that the kingdom Jesus wanted to establish first was a spiritual kingdom. He saw the disappointment in Judas when Judas realized that he wasn't signing up for a position of wealth, fame, prestige and influence, but that this was a position of servanthood. And Jesus watched as Judas walked further and further down this path of wickedness as it came closer to the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. The fact is that every time we're confronted with the possibility of sinning, we come to a crossroads of sorts. Do we go down the path of righteousness, or do we choose the path of the wicked? Without question, the path of the wicked is much more enticing. The difficulty for the person trying to choose which path to go down lies in the fact that that there are many more people choosing the path of the wicked, and they're all giving their million-dollar smiles, telling you that it's harmless fun to walk down that path. Solomon tells us that the people who walk down that path are literally plotting in their minds, trying to devise ways to entice you to follow them down that path. This reminds me of some experiences I had while I was in high school. Although I was kind of a a punk and had made some mistakes in my life, I had learned from those experiences and thus decided to avoid doing things like smoking, drinking, or doing drugs. And the way I communicated my non-participation in these activities was by putting a large X on the back of each one of my hands. And a few of my friends who smoked, drank alcohol, or did drugs actually respected my decision, but many others made it a personal quest of theirs to get me to engage in their activities at any and all costs. I even found out that one person had tried to slip a hallucinogenic drug into my drink one time. For whatever reason, his attempt failed, thankfully, but this very clearly demonstrates the fact that those who walk on the path of the wicked hate those who don't choose their path, and they devise and plot and scheme to entice others to follow them. Solomon tells us that those who walk down the path of the wicked eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Bread and wine were two things that people in Solomon's day and age required as part of their daily diet. And is essentially telling us here that wickedness and violence are part of the wicked person's daily routine. We should also note that bread and wine are the two elements that we use for communion. They remind us of the purity that we have in Christ. We're reminded of just how deeply our Lord Jesus loves the person who chooses to walk down the path of the wicked, that he died for them and continues to call out to them as they walk further and further away from him. None of those who walk down the path of the wicked are beyond God's ability to love and redeem. I'm Toby Logs and this has been your daily fix of wisdom on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.